Hello everyone and welcome to The Other Web. Our guest today is John Lee. John is the founder and CEO of CustomMobile.app, a boutique agency that builds individualized mobile apps for content creators. We reached out to John to discuss his views on monetizing content and how one can make a living creating content on the internet. John, welcome to The Other Web. Hi Alex, thanks for having me. No problem. So I saw you are working on some really interesting things. Want to tell us more about it? Sure. So I've got a side project, uh, building mobile apps for podcasters like yourself. Um, I've been doing this for two years now and would really like uh, for, for this small project to become like a proper business this year. So I guess you could say I'm an entrepreneur, small entrepreneur, testing the waters, learning how all this works. Um, and my product is to help podcasts have their own podcast app on the app stores, right? Just for their show, not sharing any space with all the millions of other shows out there. Just uh, an app for your show on the app stores that your listeners can download and stay connected to the show and um, engage further and all that good stuff. Convert to become a customer. So I'm really curious, what need did you see in the market or what problem is this trying to solve for podcasters? So that's, to be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not uh, convinced right now that this solves a problem. Um, I'm still testing whether there is an actual need for this or not. But the reason I got started was because I didn't see uh, that many, I didn't see, uh, yeah, many podcasts have their own app. Only a few had their own app and they tended to be quite big shows, but most shows don't have their own app. And um, it made sense because it costs a lot of money to build your own mobile app from scratch. If you hired an agency, it could cost upwards of $100,000 to make your own native app. So financially, it didn't make sense. But I had come across these content management systems for mobile apps that have really gotten better over the past couple of years. And it, it was possible to make native mobile apps using something like a WordPress. Not as easy as WordPress, but still it's, it's going in that direction. No code or low code platforms for making native apps. And because I had some experience in that area, I thought maybe I can spin up some mobile app for some beta podcasters and see if they like it. So that's how I started. I was able to recruit some beta testers, some podcasters who were willing to give it a try and it's been growing ever since. Um, I don't do any marketing. I don't do any advertising. I do see other companies out there that are doing similar things. So that kind of gives me validation. Maybe there is a market out here and I'm just not able to tap into it. But um, yeah, I, I'm still testing the, the thesis, whether um, having a branded mobile app for a content business like a podcast or even a blogger or a videographer, like a, a YouTuber, whether an app makes sense from a business perspective and whether my target customers are even interested in that. Um, so that, that question is still up in the air. So help me understand the optimistic angle of this. If there is a need for this, what is that need? Why would a podcaster want to have their own app as opposed to have people listen to their podcast on Spotify? And why would a podcast listener want to listen to a podcast on a branded app as opposed to finding that same podcast on Spotify or iTunes? Yeah, so I'll start from the podcaster's perspective. So here's the argument that I make to my to the podcasters. You are a content business. Your ultimate goal is to monetize your audience. Yes, get your content out there, share your message, 
grow your audience. But if you can't generate revenue from your audience, then this is not going to, it's not a sustainable operation. So the ultimate goal of any content operation is to generate revenue. It's to convert listeners to customers. And that's not going to happen on open platforms like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. These are distribution platforms that up until this point don't make it super easy for listeners to uh, convert into customers and maybe donors or, or other financial supporters. That conversion happens on websites. So every show should have their own website. If thinking about monetization, they're going to have a shop on the website. They'll have a donate button or a link to their Patreon. So podcasters are trying to monetize their audience in these other ways. They're trying to get them onto their own uh, proprietary places on the web, their website mainly. The mobile app is just like your website, except it's in the phones of your listeners. If you can get one listener to download your app, then the front door to your studio is now in their pocket. So it becomes a very, that person becomes a very valuable person. You can have hundreds of anonymous listeners. If you can get one listener to download your app and they're on your phone, they become an engaged and potentially activated listener who will convert into a customer. Uh, so the second question was, how do you get listeners to download your app? Why would anyone do that when you can listen to all of your podcasts on Google Podcasts? I do that myself. I listen to all my podcasts on Google Podcasts. Uh, and to be frank with you, I wouldn't download the app for uh, just any show. It would have to be a, a very special show that I really, really like. And the app has to offer something that I couldn't get just on the, you know, the free platform. Either that's like special content that I can only get in the app, something exclusive. Some, there has to be some benefit for me to download the app. Otherwise, I can just get the content from Spotify, right? So if the podcaster offers exclusive content for me to download their app, and I'm a huge fan of the show, then that may give me an incentive to download the app. And, and again, for the podcaster, once I'm in my listener's pocket, then that person becomes a potential customer. And I've got a direct line to that listener through push notifications, through the app itself, through you know, all these other ways to engage that listener and, and pull them further down the, the sales funnel all the way down to uh, conversion, whether that be selling merchandise or getting them to be a financial supporter. If I understand the system you're describing correctly, it seems like it's inefficient on lots of different stages here. So you still, as a podcast producer or a podcaster or a content creator, you still need to somehow find an audience. You probably do that through YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts or the other web, which actually has a built-in podcast player. Right. And then once you get that listener, it seems like you don't have a good way to monetize them because advertising doesn't pay enough. And so you have to push them somewhere else. And you're suggesting instead of pushing them to Patreon and hiding the special content behind the paywall at Patreon, that each podcast should create their own app. But as an ecosystem, it's not sustainable because the average person listens to 20 or 30 podcasts. So they're not possibly going to actually patronize all of them the same way they could on Patreon. So how does this scale? Yeah, so I wouldn't say um, abandon Patreon. Actually, all of our clients have Patreon. The goal is to get your listeners to become patrons, right? Get them to your Patreon page so they can subscribe and become a member. That's the goal. Um, you talked about advertising before. 
advertising is really only an option for the biggest shows like with huge audiences. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to monetize your show with, with advertising. Patreon, so getting your listeners to go to Patreon is the same challenge as getting them to go to your website. If you can get them first to your website, that's probably what you want to do. Come to my website. That's our home on the web. You'll see the links to all the ways you can support us. You can get more content. You can engage deeper with the show on our website. The mobile app is just like the website, except it's on the phone. So it's immediately accessible to your listeners. And again, like I think your question is like, yeah, the mobile app isn't going to replace Patreon. We actually link to Patreon from the mobile app so that everything is in one place. On the mobile app, you'll get access to not just the podcast, but if there's a vlog, you get um, the video content, you'll get the written content. It's just like a one-stop shop for everything that content creators is making so that the listener, if, if that person is a, a really engaged and super fan, they've got one place to go where they can just catch up on things, maybe even direct message the, the show from the app and ultimately subscribe, become a member, become a patron, buy some merchandise and help the show financially. Help me understand this, I guess, on a philosophical level. It seems like we have a system that's broken at many levels. Because even if your proposed solution works, it essentially means that podcast creators now have to create special content just to paywall it, just so they can figure out how to monetize the good content that they're already creating for the world. So if you could think about what a properly designed ecosystem would look like, where content creators are actually trying to create as much good content and reach as many people as possible and get paid for it. What does that solution look like? Because it seems like you're describing many pieces that are each kind of flawed in some way. I think what you're describing is the current state, right? There are millions and millions of content creators on platforms like YouTube. Um, there are millions and millions of podcasters publishing the best content they can create. And just a very small percentage of that content is becoming very popular, have the largest audiences enable, and so they can get advertisers to advertise on their shows. There's a very long tail of podcasters and video content creators that have a very difficult time finding the audience for their niche content. So I think that's the current state. I don't have an answer for that. I think it's very difficult to make high quality content and grow an audience. I think that's one of the hardest things there is to do. In my mind, it's, it's similar to like becoming famous. How do you like as an actor become a Hollywood actor? It's the hardest thing there probably is to do. So I don't have an answer for that. I think it's easier to start a business than to become famous. So if you can, if you're a, a small time content producer, you're starting small, but you're making good content, find your small niche audience, find um, 10 listeners, 100 listeners who love your content, and then figure out how to way to monetize those 100 listeners and turn them into fans, turn them into supporters of your brand. That's the process of becoming a small business owner, I think. I think that's still hard, but easier than becoming famous. I think the analogy you're using is pretty telling because I don't see many waitresses that aspire to be actresses trying to monetize their attempts to become an actress on Patreon, right? So it, it seems like if you're aspiring to become famous, that aspirational stage is kind of hard to monetize by telling people, well, if you really love me, then please donate here or buy this mug. But that is what podcasters are trying to do. So it sounds like a broken system. The question is whether there's kind of a, more of a systemic solution as opposed to just giving one more tool that people could use, but 
it sounds like, again, it could only be used for the small percentage of listeners that really, really care. They care enough to download an app. They care enough to give money on Patreon, etc. Right. So if I have 2,000 people listening to each episode, how many of those are going to download an app or buy a mug or donate on Patreon? Probably 50. Whereas if there was a way to even show an ad to all of them, I would show it to all the 2,000, right? Yeah. And why not do both? Why not advertise, show advertisements, as well as draw them into your shop, sell your merchandise, point them to your Patreon? And why not have many different revenue streams and not just one. Is there an iTunes model that can be combined with what you're doing so that if a million podcasts have their own apps, they could still have a centralized billing system that charges everybody one cent for listening to an episode? Uh, no, not at the moment. That's something to think about. I have never thought about that idea before. So uh, paying to listen is, is what you're talking about, right? Well, that, that's what iTunes did with music that faced the same problem. Yeah, I have to think about that some more. Yeah, I mean, music creators are content creators as well. I think they have the same problem, the same challenge as all other content creators. You are one of a million. How do you get your content in front of the listeners that would actually enjoy your content, enjoy your music? Same thing with books. You're trying to write a book. That's also just as difficult. How do you find an audience for your book? How do you sell it? Currently, I believe you've got to go to one of the publishers and and that's a very, very difficult process. Self-publishing is pretty much the same thing as podcasting. You you guys are self-publishing your content. There's a platform for that. I think for books, it's even more difficult. Distribution is definitely a problem if you're trying to self-publish your book. We're dealing with the same problem with news articles where for a content creator or a writer of articles, it's pretty hard to reach an audience unless they insert specific tricks into their content to make it more clickable, right? And so we're seeing essentially the way that content gets monetized affect what gets written in the first place. And 80% of what we do is learn how to filter out the junk that gets created because of this inefficiency, right? Because otherwise people consume clickbait instead of reading actual news. So I'm sure that to some extent this exists in podcasts as well and in books and in all of these other media that you mentioned. But it seems like all of these are just different inefficiencies in the monetization space affecting what gets created, how stuff gets distributed, etc. So since we're both on sort of different sides of this market, I'm trying to pick your brain on your thoughts on how it can be improved. I mean, I think what, what you're describing is just the natural state of things. Um, I think the problem you're pointing at is it's very difficult to make money in a creative space. Right. And that's the problem is you're what you're calling an inefficiency, right? It's very difficult to make money making music, writing articles, uh, publishing audio content, making videos on YouTube. I don't know if that's an inefficiency or just the nature of the of the craft, of the space, supply and demand. There are there's a lot of supply, a lot of creative content, producers of that content in the world. Also lots of consumers. And then you talked about discoverability. Like, okay, if I can make my content more discoverable by writing an article that's more easily searchable, that has keywords that folks are looking up now, then it's gonna rank higher in the search results. And so my article may be read. I think that sounds like a strategy to me. It's a strategy for how to get my content in front of more people. 
So it's to make it more discoverable. But it's a strategy with an externality. It essentially means that what I created probably has less value for people because I stuffed it with unnecessary keywords just to rank on a search engine, right? And so the way that content gets searched for essentially ruined the content that gets created to some extent. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not that pessimistic. Pessimistic, um, I'd say um, if people are searching for particular keywords and you're writing an article, it's good to consider the keywords that your audience is looking for. And if your article is about that, that topic, then it makes sense to use the language your, your audience is familiar with and is searching uh, content for content. Um, I just, yeah, I think that's good writing to your audience. And maybe it's similar for, for other mediums as well. For podcasting, um, if you've got a particular podcast about a topic, using language that your audience is familiar with and would be searching under, I think is a probably a good strategy to get your, your episodes discovered. I've been using Google uh, Podcasts almost like a search engine. Uh, if I wanna learn something new, I will, I will put in the search bar a keyword or a phrase, and then I will listen to the episodes that seem relevant to my keyword search. Um, so I think it does make sense to, maybe at least in the show notes, to use the language that you think your audience is going to be searching for you under. So actually, that's a use case I haven't heard before. So I'm curious why you're doing this to understand maybe there are many people doing this and I just don't know. Why are you searching for topics within podcast keywords as opposed to searching for text or searching for videos on YouTube? What's the benefit of podcasts here compared to other media? Yeah, I mean, I love podcasts. It's the primary way I listen to, I think, deep or, or thick content um, because I don't have to be looking at a screen, right? I can be walking, running an errand. I can be cycling. <clears throat> yeah, so I can be in transit and I can be multitasking while learning at the same time. So I think that's a huge advantage of audio content that you're not gonna have with written content or video content. You've gotta sit there and watch a video if you wanna learn from it. Whereas I can be doing the dishes, cleaning the house, doing the laundry and be learning at the same time. So for, for content that I wanna get really familiar with and it's a new topic for me, I'd much prefer to listen to a conversation or a lecture on that while doing something else than sitting and watching uh, a talking head on a video. So that's why I love audio content. Do you find that the signal to noise ratio is about the same? So if you click a random podcast episode that mentioned a particular thing you're interested in, is it the same likelihood to turn out to be low quality information or something not interesting as let's say a YouTube video or is the signal to noise ratio much higher in podcasts? I feel like I use YouTube for different use cases and I use YouTube and Google for like similar use cases. If I need to, um, if I need to answer very quickly, I need to learn something very quickly, um, then I'll use YouTube or Google because there'll be a short video and I prefer video to text. Um, so that's what I use those for. For audio, I'm not looking for a short answer. I'm looking for a broader and like a deeper sense, a deeper understanding of a topic and that will take time. So. I use them for different purposes in that way. And I feel like the search results, yeah, you're not gonna, not every episode is gonna be um, as rich, but to learn, you know, from my experience, to learn a new topic or something, it takes 
takes time. It takes exposure. It takes, um, yeah, listening for many hours on a particular topic to get familiar with that new world. And so I prefer audio for that than video, and definitely over like reading um, on a screen. I, I prefer books, physical books, over reading on a screen. I was just talking to my wife about this earlier. Like if I if I didn't have to read something on a screen, I would much prefer to read it on paper. Um, so. so I've explored text-to-speech recently just to understand how far along that tech is. So I'm curious what your opinion would be on the possibility that text can just be turned into audio seamlessly. Would that be more efficient than a conversational podcast where at least half the time is wasted on people like me asking stupid questions or is the conversational style better than just reading a summary or listening to a summary of the topic being narrated? Yeah, I think there are pros and cons. I think text-to-speech is really good now. From what I can tell, it's like 99% accurate. And I'm, I know there are apps now that will read articles, like professionally written articles. Um, I think they're professionally read by voice actors, not machine read. But I think even the machine reading is getting to a point where it can sound, it sounds pretty natural. Um, I would be very interested in, in that kind of content. Because like you said, written content is very dense. Uh, it tends to be much more to the point. There's not all that fluff. So yeah, I, I look for that kind of content if it existed. Uh, and it was, it wasn't, it was accessible. It wasn't too expensive. The conversation style I like as well. Um, because I think the natural, there's something about natural conversation with the gaps and the, just the natural flow of it that I think our brains are quite attuned to. Um, so information I think can get in uh, maybe more naturally in that conversational uh, style than um, like a, a very intentionally written article that's then read out. People may prefer different ways and different styles of consuming content so that may just be like a style preference as well but um i can, i don't see one kind of pushing out the other i think there's going to be space for both um i don't even know what the term is but like written content that's read out and then conversational style content so since you mentioned already a prediction for the future i want to ask you about other predictions you might have sort of greater ideas of where this all might evolve we're seeing a lot of changes in this social and content ecosystem lately. Some companies are getting banned by various governments. Some companies are on the decline, obviously. The former founders of Instagram just launched another media app that they call TikTok for text, I think. It's called Artifact. So what are your predictions? If we look at this entire ecosystem of audio, video, text content, and how people consume it five or 10 years from now, where is it all evolving? Chat GPT has been in the news recently, and I've only recently kind of caught on to it. Um, I read an article a few days ago saying uh, Chat GPT is going to end Google's business in two years. And in that article, they showed screenshots of the answers Chat GPT was giving compared to Google search results. And it was like night and day. The quality was remarkable. Um, so the machines are learning to write very well. And they're learning if... if uh, they can get a voice and like like we said the voice um reading is getting machine reading is getting very good as well i don't think we're that far away from um machines producing content that um yeah is indistinguishable from maybe human produced content so that i think is interesting i don't know the implications of that um, another thought coming into my head is 
a friend of mine uh, who's into video games pointed out that 10 years ago uh, when computer graphics were you know, getting very advanced and in the movies, CGI, it looked amazing to us back then. And I remember being amazed at what, what we were seeing on the screen. But looking back today, you know, the CGI of 10 years ago looks quite dated. Um, so I wonder if something similar might happen as the years go on with like computer-generated text and content as well. Maybe as we look back on the content generated by ChatGPT and these AI platforms in five years' time and 10 years' time, we'll notice, okay, the maybe the quality difference in, in the computer-generated content versus human-generated content, the way that we can recognize computer-generated um, graphics um, and how how poor the, poor it is compared to like reality. But that's also kind of been invested in my head recently. I think I think um, the analog way of consuming content is not going away. Um, I mentioned how I prefer reading on paper and prefer reading books physically over reading on a screen. I think there was a lot of hype uh, maybe 10 years ago that screens were, would replace paper and would replace physical books. And that hasn't been the case. And so I think physical and analog forms of content and consumption are not going away. So all these things, I think, will live alongside each other. Um, yeah, I think those are my preliminary thoughts on that, that big question. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a very insightful interview. And uh, I wish you the best of luck creating those apps for the podcasters. Great. Thank you, Alex. This has been another episode of the Other Web Podcast. Join us next time for more discussion on information quality and on the future of the internet.